Well, hello, hello, and welcome to yet another exciting episode of Skeptics and Seekers. Think of this as a supplemental. Think of this as preparation for Season 3. This is uh, Skeptics and Seekers Comment Section Season 2 Wrap-Up. And uh, we have the wrap-up specialist, Brian, with a Y. Brian, how you doing? David, how are you? Thanks for having me today. Okay, you bet. I wouldn't, I wouldn't think of doing one of these shows without you, actually. Uh, and uh, just in case I forget it, uh, and I probably will, next week, uh, the official beginning of Season 3, we will uh, have Randall Rouser uh, as our guest, and he will be talking about his new book, uh, Conversations with My Inner Atheist. And uh, he will be having that conversation with me. And so uh, that's that's going to be a lot of fun. If you are not familiar with the book, uh, you can look it up uh, on Amazon, grab the Kindle version conversation with my inner atheist. It's worth the purchase. Give it a read. Uh, be prepared for next week's conversation. I think you're going to enjoy it. Uh, right now, uh, we are going to go over some uh, comments that are in season two. I just want to say uh, very briefly, I apologize for the disappearing comments. They're never coming back. Uh, again, apologies. This was as a result of when we when I set up season two and we went, uh, switched over to discuss, I couldn't get the discuss count working. So I used uh, the reason press credentials. That was probably a mistake. And I should have uh, figured out how to get SNS credentials going uh, in the beginning. By the time I did figure it out, um, you know, putting the SNS credentials in basically took out all of the comments that are basically in reason press right now so sorry about that there is a way to actually access uh all of the comments and uh, if anyone really cares about that you can it's kind of a uh, backdoor way of doing it but they are there they haven't disappeared and so for those of you who think that uh some of your ridiculous comments are gone and you can breathe a sigh of relief no you can't <laughs> They're still there. <laughs> no, I'm sure I have many of them there, David. So you're, really, you're, start, you're starting me off on the wrong foot. So um, at any rate, uh, I just wanted to do that. I'm going to just jump right in here. I also want to make uh, one other uh, quick, uh, quick statement. Uh, Brian pulled all of these uh, comments forward. We were going to do two shows, but uh, that's going to be uh, narrowed down into one show. All of these comments are uh, comments that Brian pulled. Uh, I've been incredibly busy uh, lately, and I've been trying to prepare for the new video reality of Skeptics and Seekers, and so this is kind of a dry run of some of the uh, things that I'm going to be doing. Uh, Lord only knows how all of that's going to work out. So thank you, Brian, uh, for doing all of uh, that work. So people, if you do not like the comments that were chosen, right to Brian. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, just, I just want to say it was my pleasure to do it, and I am happy to be the substance guide on Skeptic and Seekers. You you can be the pretty face walking the red carpet. That's fine with me. Dude. Somebody's got to be the brains behind this operation. Um, so uh, thank you for, for doing that. Let's jump right in. This Let me let me just say this. What a great season, season two uh, was. Uh, season two is not what I was expecting season two to be at the beginning of the season. There's a lot of inside baseball there. Uh, but um, season two kind of went to heck uh, right as it started. <laughs> and so uh, there had to be a lot of uh, rearranging 
and uh, you know just making making lemonade uh, out of lemons. And what a great season it turned out to be! So I just want to thank everybody who participated in season two. We had some great conversations. We had some great uh, shows, and uh, the the guests that came on. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, those were you know some of my favorite conversations of uh, uh, of. Uh, the show so far and uh, we're going to go ahead and get started uh we're going to jump in uh with the show with mark uh karis um fundamentally progressive by the way if you see me looking up a lot people i'll just i'll give you a little bit of inside baseball right now i've got two screens okay there's the screen where my skype is where my camera is where i should be looking and then above that is a really big screen uh, with the with a presentation on it. And so I will be looking at the really big screen a lot. Sorry, it's not that I don't want to look at you. You have beautiful faces all. It's just that there's a big screen up here uh, kind of telling me where I'm going here. So uh, with that uh, said, um, take it away, uh, Brian. Will do. First, I just want to... Uh echo what you just said. I agree. Going through all of the past shows to do the prep for this show, I was really, really uh, happy with what season two turned out to be. It really was very diverse. You had a lot of different guests, a lot of new voices that you plucked out of the message board, who I thought did a great job. Uh, and it was really great to hear them uh, in person over the, uh, you know, over the, over the podcast, uh, rather than just seeing their written words. So uh, kudos to you. Kudos to you for making good lemonade out of the lemons that were thrown your way. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to season three and in particular that first episode, I think it's gonna be great. So I will start, uh, it looks like you've got it up on the screen here. This, uh, this comment I pulled from the show with Mark, as uh, David just said, uh, and this was a comment in response to Val. And by the way, I really enjoyed the back and forth between Mark and Val. And, uh, I think there was a teased potential conversation between them two. It would be great if that ever actually comes to fruition. So that's my vote. Uh, at this stage of the game, Mine. but uh, here's the good, good. So uh, yeah, so here's the comment. Um, Mark says, "Absolutely stunning logic, wonderfully written, concise, coherent. Loved it. Lots of exclamation points in that first part. I am not a fan of responding this way, and would much prefer to face to face or a Zoom type of platform. But all I can say is that I agree with you on a lot of things, especially about the made upness of religion." However, as much certainty you have in not believing in God, I have the same passionate certainty in believing in God, to each his or her own. I don't prefer the dichotomy between natural and supernatural. I probably lean toward a panentheistic framework and can acknowledge that there is something special that resonates with me in the Christian tradition, particularly the Jesus character. If I lived somewhere else, then maybe it would be with another religious guru. All I can say is that I have been touched by something transcendent, and it was through the doorway of a Christian framework. Reading the life of Jesus, reflecting on his teachings, and being challenged to live a life of sacrificial love has compelled me to stay in this tribe with all, or more specifically some, of its made-upness trappings. There are millions of folks just like me. There are millions of folks just like you. We are so passionate about the truths we hold. All of the constructs we use are man-slash-woman-made, and I prefer to appreciate the space where constructs dissolve. I can't describe that space with precise words. 
I can just appreciate where I meet God and people there. I think we need the scientists, and I think we need the poets. So this is, um, this is one of those posts that make me not hate Christianity. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's also one of those forms of Christianity that most of the Christians we talk to would probably deny is a form of Christianity. So, um, yeah, uh, b before giving it back to you, what is panentheism? Pan what? <laughs> Panentheistic is, uh, is what it is. And I, I honestly don't know the exact distinction, but it's, it's a little different than pantheism. Uh, I think it has to do with, you know, something that Taro, Taro would be pretty excited about, which is, you know, universal consciousness or something of that nature. Okay, uh, Tara, I can't believe I'm doing this. <laughs> um, Tara, would you please enter the comments and explain what the heck that is? Um, thank you. Um, the other, the, the, there are a few things out of this post, um, that, uh, catch my eye. I really appreciate it when Christians just own the made upness of, of their stuff. Once again, uh, most, uh, people that you would consider traditional Christians would not, but progressive Christians don't tend to have a problem with this. Uh, and so this is, um, the second progressive Christian that I, uh, have had a chance to uh, talk to um, the the second academic progressive Christian anyway. Thomas Ord was the first, uh, and then Mark Karras here, and they they have a lot of very similar views. Um, the, he he used the term made upness twice, <laughs> so um, I, uh, I I really appreciate. Excuse me, I really appreciate that, but it's also really hard to argue with a person like Mark Karras uh, because he just acknowledges <laughs> that stuff is made up. So um, <laughs> where are you going to go with that? Um, just when you think that you're going to beat him over the head with something, he just owns it, and uh, you're just left saying, uh, okay, uh, next. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, uh, I liked how he used, he used a term that was made up to describe something that is made up. I thought that was kind of genius. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the other uh, observation I would just make is that there is such a broad gap uh, between what I think of as traditional Christianity and progressive Christianity. And uh, I hope that every season I have at least one progressive uh, Christian on the show just to remind us uh, that Christianity is a much bigger tent than I think most Christians want to admit. It's it's really big. It's so big. It it's it makes Christianity hard to define. Mark Karras, uh, when I was a Christian, I would not have considered Mark Karras within the zip code of Christianity. Yeah. So um, I. Um, I, I thank you, Mark. Uh, we'll talk again. Chris Date, talk about polar opposites. <laughs> yeah, kind of. I I liked juxtaposing these two next to each other. I thought that was that was fun. Talk about whiplash. Um, so uh, I love Chris Date as well, and uh, I tried to get uh, Chris Date on another show. Uh, it didn't work out. Hopefully, I will get him back. 
uh, for season three as well. Uh, Chris Date comes closer to the kind of Christianity that I understood uh, as Christianity, but you know, he's he's to the right <laughs> of where I was, and it takes work to get to the right to where I was. Um, but uh, Chris Date and Calvinism. So what do we have going on here? Sure. So this one, I'm not sure how to pronounce this this user's name. Um, it's A K L Y M. I'm going to go with Aklim. Aklim. Yes. I'm not clearing my voice. I'm actually saying someone's name. So, uh, yeah. He he. Um, I pulled this comment specifically because I thought it it was a something that was on that show that didn't get discussed much in the discussion on the boards. So I wanted to make sure that this got uh, raised to the top here. So he says, I listened to the podcast a few hours ago while mowing the lawn. Kudos for the uh, multitasking there. Well done. Did I really hear Chris Date claim that the novelist does not determine the thoughts, actions, and fate of the characters in his book? That can't be what he said. Do I have to listen to it again? And I will short answer him and say, no, you do not need to go listen to it again. <laughs> that is exactly what he said. And if I were mowing the lawn, I'm pretty sure I would have started mowing the sidewalk, the street. <laughs> And my neighbor's yard, as I was so distracted by what I was hearing. I look. What, um, he said it uh, a couple of times. The first time he said it, I just tried to move past it, as if he didn't say it, because I, I felt so awkward. <laughs> At the, the first time he said it, I just, I didn't. I figured maybe, maybe he misspoke, and and I didn't want to make a a mountain out of that, you know. Um, that 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 wouldn't have been good hosting uh but we went back over and he, he actually said it again uh we talked about it off mic um he he actually did mean that and even now i am trying in my mind to make excuses for uh what he said and what he must have meant uh but you know i i have a uh a um a uh, policy to let people uh mean what they say they mean and to stop trying to fix uh what they mean uh and so i i just kind of have to go with in in some way chris believes that um that that the character um in the story kind of develops in in some real way a life of their own and so the writer isn't inventing what the character does the writer is just reporting on what the character does but i would say that if this is if this is how he believes that god operates that that god um operates uh with regard to our will in the same way that a human author operates um, a character's will, then I would say that's a very scary uh, idea. And what he really is saying, based on how I interpret that, is that God does, in fact, kind of puppet our decisions. Because there's nothing that we can do under Calvinism that is not a part of God's plan. Uh, and so that's kind of the, the conversation that we were having at the time that that um, 
came up. Uh, I appreciate uh, your uh, bringing that up, though, Eklim. And by the way, um, please uh, mention uh, the pronunciation of your name. Uh, so we have Brian for Aklim, which I'm pretty sure is wrong. And me for the more sophisticated Aklim. <laughs> I just either, don't think pronouncing that's what right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's probably an it's probably an acronym now, right? We're just we're so far afield of what it's actually supposed to be. But uh, yeah, just just real quick before we move on, the most charitable way I can interpret this statement from Chris Day is that once the character is created, the novelist can't change it, you know, at a forty five degree angle without ruining the integrity of the character. So, for instance, you know, say a novelist spends an entire page telling you how much the character loves to go sailing. He can't then in the next paragraph say, oh, and by the way, the character hates the water, hates boats, doesn't like wind, and, you know, refuses to leave his house because all he does is stay inside. Because then it's just destroys the integrity of, of what the character setup was before. But as you alluded to in your uh, feedback, it's God that determined the characters in the first place. So he, he, he's still the author, just not necessarily on that page for that particular purpose. So right. it still didn't make any sense with the most charitable interpretation that I could give it. Well, and, and I would say that it, um, even your interpretation, um, if, that's, if that's what Chris Date was thinking, he has clearly never spent as much time watching Netflix as I have. Um, <laughs> because um, there's a there's a... My wife and I spend an inordinate amount of time watching bad to mediocre uh, Netflix movies. And um, I, you know, I just say, okay, clearly my dog uh, wrote this script uh, because the, the characters are, you know, this way one moment <laughs> and another way the next moment. It, it doesn't make any sense. And it, beca it becomes just kind of a comical exercise uh, at a, at a certain point. And so, um, yeah, no, char characters do this all the time. <laughs> Writers do this yeah. all the time. So, um, yeah, all right. Um, maybe maybe Chris will hear this and, um, and clarify. Uh, but, uh, no, we don't have time to talk about Chris. We've got to, we've got to move to the other kind of uh, not quite ultra conservative uh, as, uh, as we may have thought he was. Uh, but definitely defender of Calvinism. His his uh, defense of Calvinism is a little bit different from uh, Chris's. But uh, welcome, Mac Attack, uh, to the conversation. Hopefully, Mac, you will be uh, available for conversation uh, this season as well. What do we have from uh, from this? And uh, by the way, I apologize. I did not put the name of the person who made this. Uh, comment and so if you can remind us who made this comment and what they said sure that i, I want to make sure i'm pronouncing this one right too so this guy's name is dandbuja 13 dandbuja no yeah i mean that's Nailed. that's how i read it every time i see it on the page but no <laughs> in all seriousness for those that don't get the joke this comment is from our intrepid host david johnson and he's replying to mac who by the way i loved hearing that show it was great to get his voice, you know, in my ears and to hear him go on for hours and hours with you. I really enjoyed that show. So kudos for, for getting him and kudos, Mac, for being on the show. Yeah, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't nearly as much of an idiot as I thought he was. <laughs> Absolutely not. He was, I, he actually, was, he, 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 
<laughs> I do hope he's he's he'll stick around and be on another show. That would be great. So, uh, so let's see. What did you have to say here? So, so you lead with your your most sympathetic and and nice sentiments that you can lead with David, and you start with Mac. Let me help you with that plank in your eye. <laughs> and then he uh, and then he quotes. <laughs> The text says what it says, but it doesn't mean what you are trying to force it to mean. How dare you, David? Mm. At least not when proper hermeneutics are applied. As has been pointed out to you before, again, let's correct you, David. The way you read the Bible is jarringly inconsistent. So he really is taking you to task here. Yeah. Uh, and, you, and you then retort with, on the issue of homosexuality, I believe that Peter, another one of our commenters, is wrong. Because the Bible seems to be, unless you don't mean Peter in the Bible, right? This is Peter, commenter Peter, right? No, this is, yeah, this is uh, our our Peter. Our Peter, right. Yeah, the, so, one, okay. the, the one that actually exists. Exactly, fair enough. Yeah, come at me, bros. <laughs> <laughs> so I believe Peter is wrong because the Bible seems to be using plain language. I'm going to fix that for you. Plain language to make its point. On this subject of women teaching, I believe Peter is right and you are wrong for the same reasons. You said something about applying proper hermeneutics that it's easy to say when you don't have to show your work. There is no hermeneutical principle that allows you to interpret the whole Bible consistently. It is all inconsistent. Even my interpretations are sometimes inconsistent. The conversation you are having now should be a clear warning to the epistemically humble that the Bible is a terrible tool for trying to litigate moral or legal rules for living. It is all over the place. It is all but impossible to interpret. Believing anything else is to just be uncharitable to sincere people who disagree with your interpretation. Uh, and I don't think I could have written a better scathing rebuke of his idea of hermeneutics than you did here, David. So kudos. I'll let you, I'll let you fill in some blanks. Well, so we talked about uh, hermeneutics in the first season uh, of SNS, and um, we didn't talk about it. Uh, so much uh, this past season, and I hope to talk about it again this third season. So uh, just consider this a um, a, a prequel uh, to some discussion on hermeneutics. I, I think the more conservative you are, this is a generalization, uh, generalization. The more conservative you are, the more likely you are to be dogmatic about uh, the Bible and um, your um, uh, your interpretation of the Bible, uh, because you know the Bible is very very important, and it's uh, you know there's a very high view of the Bible. The more the more conservative, the more to the right you go, the higher view uh, higher the view of the Bible tends to be. Uh, and so God's word is God's word, and it's very important to. Uh, know God's word and obey God's word and get God's word right. And so you, you tend to be uh, a little bit more dogmatic about your uh, interpretation of God's word, because if you happen to believe something that's not God's word, that could have some, some pretty bad consequences. So I understand uh, how it is conservative people have arrived um, at this place uh, where, you know, they're, they're fairly dogmatic about their views, but I would just remind people that people love the Bible across the spectrum, whether you're uh, conservative or liberal, whether uh, you're 
to the right or to the left, whether you're said to have a high view or not so high view of Scripture. People, people are still doing their best to read the Bible the best way they can and understand it. And uh, if there's one thing that I have learned, uh, you know, from talking to so many people about uh, the Bible for so long, it's it's that there is no good, consistent hermeneutic that helps you understand or decode the whole Bible in a consistent way. It just can't be done. Um, and at some point, you, you just have to kind of recognize that. And if, if you're saying, well, you know, if you, if you get, uh, you know, parts of the Bible wrong, uh, then you're going to somehow be in danger of losing your soul. Well, then everyone's just in danger of losing their soul. And the, the biggest challenge of the conservative reader of the Bible is proving that their interpretation is the only right, reasonable way to read the Bible. And they, they simply can't do it. Uh, by the way, uh, liberals who want to take on that burden can't do it either. Uh, so uh, I think there's uh, another comment uh, later that we might get to. But that's, that's kind of where I am on that. There's, just, there's simply no way to read the Bible in a consistent way and in a way that is so convincing that everyone else must agree with the way that you read that particular part of the Bible. Yeah, I, th I think that's well said. Uh, and, and the part that, that always sticks out to me is even if you do the best hermeneutics you can do, you can still be, be wrong, right? Because sometimes people betray their past performance. Sometimes people communicate differently than they usually do. Sometimes people use the fourth definition of a word when usually they use the first or the second. You know, even Jesus spoke in parables, right? So right there, you know that Jesus is not uh, always going to be as straightforward as he possibly be. So even if you used hermeneutics to get to what you think is the proper interpretation, you could still be wrong. The only way to, to, to confirm it officially would be to actually get the author to step up and say, what did you mean when you said X? And again, to date, we don't have that. So you, you need to have what I think are the most important words in your comment there, which is epistemic humility. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, so it's tough to know what an author means today, you know, a contemporary author who's writing in our language, in our culture, uh, in our time, it's, it's sometimes hard to know what they mean. I mean, it's easier, but we still get it wrong. The, the thing is, we can always go to that author and say, hey, wh what did you mean by that? You can't do that with authors that are dead. And you especially can't do that with authors that wrote in what is now a dead language. Uh, in a culture that no one alive today uh, ever experienced. You, there's simply no way to go back and, and do that with any accuracy. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's where we are. We have some more from this uh, particular show, though. Absolutely. I, I grabbed another one, and this one from the horse's mouth itself. This is Mac Attack, and he is responding to Anthony, that bloody brilliant chap. And Mac Attack said... Well, once you grant God is omniscient and you're not, then by necessity you accept that he knows how to do things better than you do. If there's an alternate solution that you know is better than God somehow doesn't, then you're the one who becomes omniscient in this scenario. Okay, let me just let me just yeah. pause you right there. I, I'm glad you I'm glad you learned to pause because I did too, but good. So, um see honestly, um 
it's it's hard to even grant that particular proposition just for the sake of argument. I try to do it from time to time. But if you live in a world where there is a being who knows everything and is always right, you have you have kind of abrogated your responsibility to think independently and to judge uh, morality independently. And for this type of Christianity, you can't judge morality. Uh, all you can do is uh, agree with the judgment of the one person who knows everything. And that just seems to me uh, a, a rather impractical, maybe impossible, an extremely sad way uh, to exist. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and that's how you get, you know, people trying to sacrifice their sons. This is how you get people gleefully throwing rocks at homosexuals. I mean, it's ab abrogating your personal responsibility is, is exactly what it is. And, and it's I, I find it very distasteful. Yeah, because, I mean, whatever this God says, uh, you know, even if it means that it, it seems wrong to me, well, he he must know what he's talking about because he knows everything. Right. And I, I also reject the idea that you must be omniscient in order to propose some sort of alternate solution. You know, I'm pretty sure that if, you know, Sean Carroll and I were discussing astrophysics, you know, I could still make a recommendation to him if I thought I understood a point well and had something to bring to the table, even though obviously he knows, you know, more physics, you know, he forgot more physics than I know right, for but all time. But if Sean Carroll could, says one plus one is three. That's about the level that I could interact, by the way. I could yeah, yeah. say fairly conclusively, no, Sean, you have misspoken. Okay. I don't have to sit there and think to myself, well, you know, Sean, he's much smarter than me. So maybe one and one is three. Uh, right. But that's that's kind of what the Christian uh, has done. You know, when, when God says, no, you should, in fact, stone homosexuals to death. Christians then have to work out in, in their worldview, well, in, in that place and in that time, somehow that must have been a good thing. They, they don't get to say, no, that's, that was bad. Right. So, yeah, let me, let me let you continue. There's, there's more to go. I, 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 I've said pretty much everything I'm going to say here. I'll let you yeah. finish reading. The, uh... very, very good. So uh, he quotes Anthony on, uh, he pulls out a snippet, optimizing well-being. And he responds to that. Well, in general, I'd say that the human experience is marked more with periods of joy and happiness rather than grim suffering. We don't wake up to tsunamis and hailstorms every day. Holocausts and world wars aren't happening daily. Vast majority of people aren't born with birth defects. Ghastly evils do happen, yes. But overall, one wouldn't consistently be able to say that our lives are generally punctuated with suffering from start to finish. And we only run into good once in a while. When we read a shocking story of injustice, we rally together and recognize that this is an anomaly to try and correct it, recognizing that the norm ought to be a world of order and justice, not chaos and injustice. He then quotes Anthony again, but you are no doubt aware that Christians are called to suffer for the name of Christ. Again, this indicates a non-optimality in overall well-being. And Mac responds with a question, are you saying suffering of any kind is unnecessary? Okay, I'm a dirty lying liar. I just I just collected a solid bet by you saying that because that was I could see that coming a mile away. <laughs> so, um, 
at the i remember reading this post uh at the time uh, it was written and i remember not commenting to it I, I i think i may have been working uh but i don't i don't think that i commented to it but i this is one of those times where i just screamed impotently uh at my screen um because what i wanted to tell mac attack uh which is what i'll tell him now you have i believe you have a westernized view and an utter misapprehension of the amount of suffering uh, that people do in this world. Uh, and so it may be that in uh, Western countries like the U.S., uh, it is mostly okay living punctuated with some suffering here and there. But in other parts of the world, it is just suffering punctuated with some uh, moments of respite. Uh, and even, you know, in, in all places in the world, there are many humans who live in a hellscape of suffering. They live in a hellscape of constant suffering, and it would not be categorized as, oh, no, everything is mostly okay, and uh, you just get a little bit of suffering here and there for character building. Um, I, I just think that uh, you have to become a little bit more woke about um, the world you live in. And here, I, I told you uh, before the show that I had a, a, a mini rant that I wanted to go on and I, I hadn't pulled any comments for it. I think that I want to insert it here, if, if you don't mind. Um, I, give, I give you the floor. A, a good David rant is, uh, is always welcome. I, I appreciate that because I was going to do it even if you did mind. And so you, you kind of saved me there. Um. <laughs> Wait, I, I thought I was the brains of this show. You're supposed to just, you know, you're supposed to just dance what I tell you to dance. Come on. <laughs> well, but uh, this is not brains. This is emotion here. So I've got to, uh, yeah, I know I just opened myself up. Dog. Um, there, Go have, for it. there have been some recent uh, comments. Uh, and I, I won't call the commenter out. I didn't bother to. Uh, pull the the quotes in in such properly, but there have been some recent discussions uh, about race uh, and about some of the uh, rioting and protests uh, and un, uh, racial unrest that has gone on in America lately. I do want to say that I plan to uh, discuss uh, some of the politics uh, issues uh, in season three. Uh, as it relates to Christianity and so forth. But I, I do plan to talk about that. So I'm not unaware, uh, people, that these things are, are going on. I just haven't uh, wanted to talk about it in any great detail. I did uh, the one show uh, on uh, some of the race issues here. I did another show on, a, on someone else's program uh, on that. And it's not like that exhausted everything that I had to say. It's not my favorite subject to talk about. But I did want to to just insert a little bit of that here, because I think that when people uh, start talking about uh, how good life is uh, and how little suffering uh, people are doing, they are doing it from a perspective uh, that is not broad enough. It is simply not broad enough. You do not have to go to third world Zimbabwe to find people suffering. You could do that right here. And um, allow me to uh, insert race into the discussion. But I, I've got a feeling that the majority of white people 
in America have no idea what the experience of life is for the average black person in America. They have absolutely no clue. And when they talk this way, they, it makes me wonder what America they're living in. Well, I know what America they're living in. They're, they're living in the America uh, where they have uh, privilege due to their race that they do not recognize and would not acknowledge if it was pointed out. And it is a privilege that many of us who are of a darker hue simply do not and never will have. It's not to say that none of us uh, will experience that. But the, the average normal life of the black experience in this country is so different from the experience uh, of the white people. You, you have no idea. And so when you, when you, when you look at the riots uh, and you look at, um, you know, some of the comments were, um, you, you know, the, the anarchy, sat satanic anarchists um, endangering uh, good citizens in this country uh, speaking about the riots. And I, and I think to myself, um, when, when white people had all of the power and it was unfettered power to, to literally do anything they wanted to with black people, the moment that power began to be curtailed even a little bit, they felt offended when when people started talking about equality between blacks and whites the whites felt betrayed when we when we started getting a situation where uh you know blacks would rise up and talk about black power whites were afraid blacks weren't supposed to have power what what is this black power you're talking about uh, when people talk about Black Lives Matter, uh, good white people say, oh, no, 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 we can't have uh, this black empowerment now. All lives matter. Um, of course, all lives matter. But but there is a uh, some of the lives in this country have not mattered for so long. And whenever blacks start talking about and feeling a certain empowerment, whites get scared. And so when you start taking away some of that white privilege to make it look equal, whites feel oppressed. If, if, it, if it ever becomes equal, then, then the whites say they're oppressed. When blacks have empowerment, whites become afraid. They are used to being able to call the police just because a white person is jogging through their neighborhood and have the police uh, beat the person silly to send a message. You can't be coming through here scaring these good white people. Now what happens? We've got riots. We've got, a, by the way, a riot. You know what a riot is? When there are 10 black people or more having a, having a peaceful protest, it's a riot. How dare they have this voice? Now, if they raise their voice and if they're visibly angry, then they're violent. And then, of course, if they actually get violent, they should be killed. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, there is such a, uh, a difference in understanding of how that experience works. And by the way, this is not just uh, white and blacks. This is true with Christians, uh, the Christian and non-Christian issue as well. When Christians had unfettered power, uh, you know, atheists, could not speak up out loud. They had to pretend to be Christians uh, just to just to make it in uh, society. Uh, and when atheists 
come anywhere approaching now equality in the public square. Christians feel oppressed. Um, and so it, it goes on. This is always the case when you have a situation of the extremely powerful having unchecked, unfettered power for so long, and then that power starts to become uh, challenged. And so I would just say uh, to some of the people making these types of comments, uh, you might step away from the brink just a bit. Uh, and yes, while it is true that uh, some of the protests have um, spawned some violence, have you any idea how much violence has been visited on the black communities since forever uh, in this country? And the, the white population has just said, yeah, look at those savage beasts. The moment any of it spills out, into a white community. We must call in the National Guard. Are you kidding me? So we're, we're just talking about worlds apart of experience. Uh, and this, uh, this comment uh, from Mac Attack, and by the way, I, don't, I know nothing about uh, Mac Attack. I don't know what his race is. I don't know what his um, uh, social and political uh, beliefs are. And so I don't, I don't mean to lay all of this uh, at his footsteps, but this this comment brought this to mind, uh, and it just sounds very tone deaf of a person who fails to understand the true experience that other people are having in this world. Very well said, David. Good job. My apologies. Uh, so no, no, I, I thought I thought that I thought that dovetailed well with what was going on here. Um, and if I could just put a, a punctuation mark on on this particular comment, um, two things. One, you know, atheists don't grant that there's an omniscient God. So is there no way for us to have a conversation about these topics unless we uh, grant your premise? Well, how about you spending some time granting our premise that we're not taking into uh, account that there's an omniscient being out there? I think that's only fair uh, to have these conversations. And lastly, about the levels of suffering and everything like that, that just becomes an exercise in question begging. Since they assume that there's an omniscient being that knows what's best for everybody, they have to assume that whatever level of tsunamis and cancer and you know riot, uh, riotous racial tensions there are must be the perfectly right amount because the omniscient God decided it was so. And I just find that so backwards in thinking. Um, when I take my kids to get a flu shot, um, I make sure that they're getting the best that they can get. And when that's just the shot in the arm, that's what we do. But when the doctor literally holds out in front of me the flu shot and the nasal mist, and they're both determined to be equal in as far as preventing the flu, I give them the nasal mist every single time because there's no reason to inject the, uh, the needle in the arm and cause. That becomes unnecessary harm. It's not unnecessary when it's the only way to get the flu vaccine into them. So I, I just think it's, it just exposes this uh, really different way that they look at uh, these issues of suffering and, um, and people uh, that are atheists. Yeah, I'm sorry, I lied again. Uh, that, that last little uh, bit about, um, is, you know, isn't some suffering, you know, necessary? Are you saying that all suffering uh, is unnecessary? Yes, uh, let, me, let me be very clear about this. All suffering is bad. Suffering is bad. Christians have this idea that suffering 
is good, that, that there is some good thing uh, to suffering. Because, you know, if we suffer, then that will, what, make us, uh, let's say, uh, patient. Uh, and this makes us more fit for heaven. Are you kidding me? What happens in heaven where patience is required? Are, are there going to be long lines in heaven where, where you've got to where you've got to exercise patience? I, I don't think so. That's ridiculous. Um, what other suffering? Well, do you have to sacrifice your your if you sacrifice your resources to help someone else, you can become more charitable? No. Actually, what what's happening in heaven that makes you uh, more charitability um, called for? Are, are there going to be less fortunate people in heaven uh, that, that you're going to have to uh, help, you know, get get their ticket on the heavenly bus because they're they're underprivileged? No, suffering. There's no good uh, in suffering. And when you try to format suffering in some way uh, where it's positive, I think that you have lost the thread. Uh, and, and let's be very clear, the Christian does not believe that suffering is good because they do believe in a heaven where there is no suffering. There is no tears in heaven. Everything's going to be suffering free. So if in their ideal world, everything is suffering free, then I think it is fair for me to say that in an ideal world, everything is suffering free. Suffering is bad. It's the bad thing that we have to do when we can't do better. It is, it is not in and of itself good. It is never good. Come at me, bros. <laughs> I think that's exactly right. I, and I, that, that reminds me of the, you know, the, the, the philosophical argument, the problem of heaven, which is, you know, how, how can you say that this world that we're in now is the optimal world when you're expecting a better world to come in the future? So, you know, all these, all these things aren't necessary because there's a world that's forthcoming that's not going to have these things. So, so then by definition, you have to admit that this current world is suboptimal. Well, okay, Mac, uh, sorry to pile all this on, on your one comment. You are going to have to come back in season three and uh, defend yourself now. Um, Absolutely. Come, come, come back, Mac. <laughs> so, uh, Dale, uh, Young Earth, uh, <laughs> how, did, how did we not get more comments out of this one <laughs> so. uh, my, the, the only thing i can think of is that a lot of this ground was trod in in season one but uh but yeah no i i was also surprised that this didn't get some more run yeah i mean wow um so anyway i'm gonna this is all yours I have nothing, yeah nothing to add <laughs> nothing to add here okay so in that thread uh from dale uh dale show on the young earth with you uh this is a comment from vic q ruiz and he gives us a nice bulleted list. Things yes. which are things which are we are apparently still required to accept. One, God created a perfect environment. Two, God placed whoa, two whoa, normal whoa, humans. Whoa, 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 sorry. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Where, <God>. you, <laughs> sorry. You are you are duplicitous. So I just have to I have to stop you here because <laughs> Um, Christian, it is not a universal thing that um, God created a perfect environment. Uh, I have had this argument with people on air and on the board and off air. Uh, so it used to be, you know, back when atheists were fairly quiet, 
that Christians uh, used to accept and say things like, yeah, you know, the world was perfect and then humans messed it up. But, you know, when we started pushing back uh, and forcing them into corners that they uh, felt uncomfortable in, some of them started saying, well, you know, the Bible says that uh, God created and it, and it was good. It didn't say it was perfect. I've, I've had this <laughs> argument thrown back in my face. Um, and so now you will see there are, you know, a few Christians stepping up to just own uh, the reality of things and say, yes, well, okay, death and decay was in existence uh, before humans. And uh, God only carved out a pretty good environment in the Garden of Eden. Even that wasn't perfect because it had a creature in it uh, that could deceive. And so the Bible never says uh, that it was a perfect environment. Uh, it only says that it was a good environment, and it was only good enough to forward God's purposes. So uh, I just I just want to stop you and Vic right there. That is th that there is an imperfect environment is not necessarily something that Christians are owning these days. All right, go ahead. I, I won't interrupt anymore. <laughs> right. So, um, so uh, two. God placed two normal humans in that perfect environment. Three. God allowed an entity of utter evil with supernatural powers and enormous powers of deception to access that environment and its two human inhabitants. Four, the two humans, being no more astute than humans in general, bought the product the evil entity was selling. Okay, stop. stop. Hey, wait, 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 wait. Okay, <laughs> go back to three. I'm just, I'm sorry. Yeah, um, no, it's fine. So this is also uh, maybe a misstatement um, of the way some Christians would put it. Uh, so it's saying that God allowed access to an evil being as if that evil being was external to the garden. But in the story as written in Genesis, uh, God created this being. This was a serpent, and it describes the serpent as the uh, cleverest of all of the creatures God made. So this was not some outsider gaining access into the garden it was a feature of the garden God made. I just want to clarify that. Uh, how, how, how psyched was the serpent when God decided to put the gullible humans in? He was, you know, licking his chops. Yeah. Well, okay. So I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to interrupt anymore. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, let's see. Five. God found this out and threw the humans out of the perfect environment. Six. He further determined that all their descendants had committed the same crime and deserved in infinite punishment. Uh, seven, which is in parentheses, many Christians also believe that God planned all the events one through six from the beginning of time. And then Vic juxtaposes that, which things we are apparently no longer required to accept. One, snakes could once walk and talk. Um, I picked this comment just because it really called into relief what I thought the main thesis of this entire show was, which was, you know, one big uh, episode worth of special pleading trying to rescue something very specific but something that could be equally applied to any number of other things that have the same problem applied to it when you look at uh, interpreting the bible in that way right so in in fairness to dale um actually i never want to be all that fair to dale it's so fun to be unfair to dale but in in fairness <laughs> to dale um 
he has this um, theory uh, of, I want to get this right, um, mythohistoricism. Um, and so I, I don't know if this is a new theory for Dale, but I think this is kind of a new theory uh, for Dale that he has picked up recently because he hasn't talked about this um, previously. But this mythohistory uh, is uh, a way of describing the Genesis story so that some elements of it are history history and other elements of it are mytho history. Now notice the conflation of mytho and history. It's still history. <laughs> the, the last word still uh, kind of counts here. It's still history. It's just not literal history, but it's history in the sense that something real, it's still telling the story of something real that actually happened. And so uh, Christians are allergic to the idea of calling anything in the Bible myth, because that just sounds like a made-up story. And so Dale is not saying that you know any of this stuff is just a made-up story, but maybe some of the details uh, are a little less literal while telling us something that's literally true. Uh, so uh, it's it's very hard. I've I've had uh, you know fairly long discussion with Dale and try to figure out uh, you know what what is myth, what is history, and how can you tell? And it it does seem to be to me to be a lot of post hoc rationalization. But uh, for anyone listening to this out of the context of that show, uh, Dale does have a a fairly I'll just go ahead and call it a well thought out um, explanation of the mytho history and how he moves from one to the other. Uh, I'm giving him the credit for it being well thought out. I can't follow it, but uh, but maybe you could if if you heard it. Now, now, David, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't the entire premise of the show is that he used to think the Earth was definitely old, but now he's only 80 percent convinced that the Earth is old. Is that was that kind of the punchline? Well, that was one of them. Yes. And, and that just that to me just seems why would you need an entire show to do that? What's because if you're talking about proving a God moving from 100 percent to 80 percent old earth versus young just seems like it's so far down in the weeds and so not germane to the question at hand. I just I don't know why you would spend that kind of time trying to parse that little detail you see i was trying to be fair to dale <laughs> all right <laughs> well you know as am i this is this is this isn't attacking him it's just you're, again you're there's, to, you know there's only trying to push me into saying some things that might be less fair but much more entertaining and, well listen uh, dale has told us that he's very busy so this is your opportunity <laughs> to throw the grenade close no. the door and not worry about retribution so you should oh. just throw the grenade no, no I'm, I am, of course, joking, Dale. I'm a, I'm a big fan of yours. I hope you understand this is all in good fun. I'm gonna, I'm just, I'm gonna let it go. Um, but... The, uh, the other, the other point out of this before we move on was just a conversation uh, that precipitated out of this that I had with uh, Brian with an eye on the boards, which is if you're talking about the Bible from the standpoint of literary genre, then you've, you, you've taken yourself out of 
revealing anything that would be supernatural, right? Because literary genre is entirely a human invention. Right. So if we're just talking about the Bible as a genre of, of liter liter uh, literature and how there's different parts and don't read this part like science, don't read this part like history. Well, great. You know, I can that I can agree with that 100 percent. But none of that's going to get you to. And therefore, the God exists that it's talking about. I mean, that, right. You're missing a big bridge if that's all you're talking about when it comes to the Bible. Right. If, if you're reading the miracles out of the story, then I don't I'm not even sure why we're reading the story. Uh, right. You don't you don't have anything. Uh, left for Christianity to hang on to. Right. So, um, you know, if you are going to say, well, no, the uh, the world, or at least this part of the world, was kind of magically um, created uh, much faster than nature could have done it, then great. Why take out the talking snake? Why right. Is, you know, why why is the one more believable than the other? What's the what's the point? Um, and it, it feels to me like the only point is just to save yourself from certain uh, obvious inconsistencies that would come up in the Bible. And you, of course, you have to save the Bible from being um, inconsistent and contradictory. And so you you have to kind of move in and out of, well, OK, this must be myth and this must be anyway. Um, right. Yeah. Um, we've got we've got another one from uh, from this show, though. Yes. So the next comment I pulled was from the same show, and it is uh, a comment made by the original lay skeptic. I will happily give him the title, uh, even though we fought about it for a couple of seasons. Uh, Darren Lute, the original lay skeptic. Uh, he quotes, uh, I believe this is Dale, and please correct me if I'm wrong that this isn't Dale, but I'm pretty sure it is. Um, he quotes, I also wonder how the other atheists on here take that. Do they agree that their belief about the old earth ultimately derives from that one underlying reason of uh, scientific consensus rather than getting down into the weeds and evaluating the evidence for themselves and or reaching out to the experts to ask them directly or something. And then Darren writes, I would say scientific consensus is a good place to start. The reality is that scientific consensus is derived through hundreds of years of gathering data and performing experiments to verify findings and hypotheses. Unless science figures out a way to extend lifespan significantly, there is no way to replicate all, all of it yourself. You will also know where the, problem parts, uh, where the problem parts of the consensus are because they will tell you. After that, if you need confirmation, you can dig into the evidence and experiments to see if the consensus is justified. And if you don't feel it is, you can do your own experiments to start testing your own hypothesis. If your hypothesis contradicts current consensus, a lot of C words here, you can do the experiments to show your hypothesis is better. And if the community agrees, you get a Nobel Prize from it. Possibly get your name in the history books as one that overturned the consensus. So this is this comment is so obviously um, reasonable and true and sound that I only have one uh, one thing to say. Dale, would you please come on and resolve this once and for all? Just make a note in the comment. Who is the original lay skeptic? Who is the original <laughs> lay skeptic? Because I thought for sure it was me. And if you're going to take that away from me, uh, I'm going to go into three days of depression and wishing that I was an alcoholic so that I could go into some heavy drinking. But I am not, and I don't drink. And so just See, I, depression. I've, I've fallen into third place now. I'm, I'm the bronze medalist in the original lay skeptic. I'm like the fast follower. I just want to know, Dale, can you can you solve that for us? Um, 
we okay so look we, we've got <laughs> another hour's worth of content easily that we're going to squeeze into about 25 minutes um we're we're getting into the morality series okay uh this was <laughs> this was supposed to be five shows i think it became seven shows and uh what what fun it was um I enjoy these shows. These shows are still there. If you are new to Skeptics and Seekers and you're not sure where to start, start with the morality series. <laughs> start start <laughs> at the top. Click play and keep clicking play until you get down uh, to the finale. Uh, this show had something like 2,200 comments in it before um, I did the big accidental purge and purged everything out. And shortly after that, it uh, went, you know, up and above 500 again. Um, now, granted, this was the, um, you know, the last uh, board that was going, but it was it was going at this trajectory anyway. People had a lot to say uh, about these shows. They still have a lot to say about these shows. I can't say that we're done with morality, uh, but it will not be my main focus in season three. That said, if we can get Dale and Val back, uh, you know, maybe at some point, uh, I, I'd be okay with that. I, I concur. I agree. I, I really enjoyed that, that part. So, um, and what, a, what, 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 what an undertaking. I just want to, you know, let me blow some sunshine your way here, David. In the off season, you develop this seven part, 3,500, uh, comment discussion, uh, opus, for an off season. So, you know, kudos to you. This was really amazing content and you pulled a lot of people together and this was just, I think this, the output is, it speaks for itself. So, so, so kudos to you for a really good series. Well, I, I appreciate that, but I only developed five and uh, to kind of go with uh, Chris Date's observation, the characters uh, developed a life of their own. I didn't have anything to do with it. That's right. <laughs> See, listen, we just, we just, we just confirmed Chris Date from a, you know, three, three pages ago. So well done. I mean, literally. <laughs> so I, I hope there was a point where I was just pretty much kicked out of the thing. Uh, there was a point when David Russell said, Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm doing my own thing here. <laughs> so. which, which was great, by the way. I'm, I'm glad he's on board uh, for season three and, and he seems like he's got his, his chops ready to go. So good, good for him. I'm looking forward to hearing more from him too. All right. So uh, but I hope you, I hope, I hope you'll forgive me that the first uh, comment that I pulled is entirely meta. And it was a little little needle dig at you, and, and I'm going to uh, yeah, happily read I, it now. I do not forgive you, by the way, but go ahead. <laughs> so, so this was uh, this was from Ken, uh, and he wrote it to uh, to David, and his comment was, "Wouldn't it have been better to have a separate post for each discussion, so that is easier for people to find, and you don't end up having 3,500 comments for all five episodes on a single page? Don't know how much extra work that is, but just a thought." So I just wanted to say, clapping for Ken, but uh, I'm sure there I'm sure there are some some technical reasons why things are. So I just wanted to give you an opportunity to to weigh in on it because as I was pulling comments for the morality series, this this comment was ringing in my ears while I spent that time. I thought, what a, what a fantastic series! Uh, we're we're going to have some real winners of of comments here, and uh, I and I look at this. I almost took it out of the notes. <laughs> uh, so, but um but ken uh I, I i love you brother so here's here's the deal i'm not going to tell you all of the reasons why i did um uh write a response to this 
at the time. Uh, and so I did uh, provide some reasons. But ultimately, the answer is uh, I had my reasons and the reasons panned out uh, exactly the way um, I thought they would. One reason that I will kind of dangle your way has to do with SEO, uh, which is search engine op optimization. Uh, there are uh, two different schools of thought. Uh, I have worked in uh, the writing racket for a little bit now. Writing writing for money on the internet is, a, is an interesting animal, and there's not a lot about it that's terribly intuitive. Uh, but the two schools of thought... I'll just tell you what they are. I don't, I don't actually know which one is ultimately right. But one school of thought is when you're making a blog, uh, you want to make as many posts as possible uh, so that whenever anyone looks up anything, it'll come to another post on your blog. Uh, and you can cross-link your po posts and that sort of thing. And so that's going to that's gonna build up better SEO and more visits to your website. The other school of thought is you have one post on a given subject and you just update it as new information comes in and you keep updating it. You don't write another blog post, you update it. Uh, and then the comments grow on, on that and you, the post gets longer. And then when someone searches in Google, they're going to go to your blog, which just keeps growing and growing and growing. And so there's more chance that someone is going to hit that post from the outside. Uh, these are two different schools of thought. They uh, supposedly have the same type of result. Uh, I have worked in blog situations where uh, both have been done. Uh, I tend to favor the uh, one long uh, blog post that gets updated periodically. I think there's more evidence that that uh, works better SEO-wise, but it's it's kind of like GIF versus GIF. It's a debate that's not worth having uh, to each their own, but uh, I, I think I did get out of this SEO-wise what I was hoping to get out of it. So uh, there's there's a partial explanation there. Um, don't ask me to follow up because I really won't. It's all pretty boring stuff, and it could be that the other perspective is just as right. So, nope, that's that's fine. Um, I I think that was a good answer. So I'm glad I'm glad you had the chance to to give some of that uh, inside baseball to the listeners and readers. And now for our first comment. Yes. So again, <laughs> this this guy keeps coming up. I don't know why he posts so much. This Deand Bajay. 13 Nailed it character. Again. Yeah. I'm telling you this. I mean, this guy, this guy is Shakespeare for, for internet atheism, <laughs> but <laughs> he, uh, he had, a, he had a comment that I enjoyed that he, uh, he wrote to Marvin and here is the comment. It is, if what you want to do is show an objective moral fact, you have to point out why it is an objective moral fact. You can't just name a thing and say that violating it is objectively wrong. You are just question begging. Why is torturing babies for fun wrong? And if wrong, what makes it an objectively moral fact? You have not shown your work at all. You are just making emotional claims and hoping that no one will notice. I gave my reason on the show for why I thought it was wrong. And you said that that was a problem because I would just have to give a pass to people who disagreed with me. You said it was wrong because we have the moral intuition that it is wrong. You have the same problem. But when I pointed it out, you claimed the example was invalid because it was unrealistic. We can all follow the bouncing ball. 
we clearly do not have the same moral intuition. Mine tells me that there is nothing at all wrong with homosexuality while yours does. An argument based on shared moral intuition gets us nowhere. To get to the next level in the conversation, you are either going to have to get past the claim of objectivity or you're going to have to actually explain what makes a thing objectively wrong. By the way, I am pretty sure you are confusing objectivity with universality. If someone, if everyone in the world agreed on something, that would not make it objective. That would make it popular. Everyone in the universe could agree on the wrong thing. Would that also constitute an objective truth? Of course not. So you are just going to have to find a better way to prove something is objective than just doing a head count of the people that agree with you. That is a great little time capsule of a large part of what the morality debate uh, between Christians and atheists so is. So if I have one regret of losing the post, it was this conversation. Uh, it was so after it was all done and I had uh, gotten done with some of my uh, other work, uh, I set out to start a fight on purpose. Uh, and who better to start a fight with than Marvin? Uh, and so uh, this this was one of the few times where I intentionally picked a fight for a reason, and it became epic. And thank you for Marvin uh, Marvin for uh, you know enjoying the battle. Um, I really hate that uh, that battle is gone. <laughs> no. uh, so this this was really just one part of that. Uh, so rather than uh, talk about the comment itself, I want to talk about uh, another aspect of it that came to my mind as I was reading it over. So I often accuse Marvin, uh, rightfully so, of the tu quoque, tu quoque, tu quoque, the TQQ uh, Coquettes? fallacy. Um, and what that is, uh, is basically... Um, you you say well cheating on your taxes is wrong you shouldn't cheat on your taxes and then the person responds well you cheated on your taxes last year uh so rather than addressing uh cheating on your taxes is wrong uh it's kind of a social man argument uh and it, it's a way of kind of turning the tables well you cheated on your taxes you're a tax cheater Cheating on your taxes is wrong, and so th this is this becomes a um, uh, TQQ uh, fallacy. Uh, and so, if you just read this post outside of any context, it it has overtones of that because it has me saying, "Well, you know, Marvin, um, there there's problems with my uh, system. I can't I can't say that." Uh, anything's objective but you can't either you have the same problem there's a place in this post where i actually say you have the same problem but i, w I just want to say from the beginning of this conversation and from my time on the board in fact you can if you want to listen to uh the show i think that expressed this more it was the one that i had with david russell uh where my whole point was uh the christian and atheist is in the same boat when it comes to morality. And so while the Christian claims objectivity, uh, the atheist generally doesn't claim uh, objectivity. Uh, objectivity. Val is uh, one of the exceptions there. Uh, but I do not claim objectivity. Uh, and I would just say that, you know, every, every system you come up with, 
uh, on the skeptical side is going to have some issues um, in in you know being able to declare um, that this thing is absolutely wrong or or not. They're gonna they're gonna be some holes in it somewhere. And I simply said uh, that Christians have the same problem. The difference is they don't know it <laughs> and they don't acknowledge it. And uh, so I was just trying to point out with uh, Marvin, who had uh, engaged in this uh, fight that I started, uh, you know, he was saying, well, you know, we know that torturing babies uh, for fun is wrong because we know it because it's uh, because our consciences tell us. Uh, that it's wrong. Uh, and our consciences are given to us by God. And I was just trying to make the point, well, okay, but my conscience says that uh, homosexuality is not wrong. Uh, so clearly, just because you have a, a conscience telling you that this thing is or isn't wrong does is not the thing that makes it wrong or not. So um, for anyone who would read that and say, oh, well, you you have the same TQQ fallacy. No, not really. You would you would just have to kind of be at the beginning of my argument and experience my entire thesis uh, to realize uh, that, no, that wasn't a fallacy. That was my whole point. Excellent. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I think the, the, you know, definitely listeners go read the full conversation because this was just a <laughs> snippet from that from that particular one. Um, and yeah, I, my, my impression, my, my impression, my impression of, uh, of, of these things, uh, David, you weren't on mute just by the way, in case you want to do something about that. <laughs> Am I on mute? Uh, you, I could hear you coughing. So. Oh no, I was not on mute. No, I wanted yeah. you to hear me cough. Okay, good. See? Yeah. This, yeah. this is the cough yeah. that rang around the world. No, I, you're, th um, you're throwing, I'm trying to juggle three balls and you just threw three more at me and I, I couldn't handle it. Pity me. <laughs> I have a cough. <laughs> Why would I want to mute that? <laughs> See, this this is actually a great segue because, you know, obviously both Christians and atheists are coming at morality as humans. What I think Christians do erroneously is they use an argument from consequences fallacy. They're worried that if there's not some perfect ultimate standard and, um, you know, judge and jury – that morality just becomes a complete free-for-all and they just cannot, you know, fathom living in a world where morality is a free-for-all. So they have to invent this answer that solves both the, both the grounding issue and it solves the uh, enforcement and punishment issue. Right. Uh, and, and, and at the end of the day, I'm not interested in, you know, inventing a solution that, you know, makes you feel better about the situation. I want to deal with what's actually true. And obviously if there is a deity then that deity would factor in to any moral calculus. I don't see the deity. He's not here for me to put into the calculus. So I don't put it into the calculus, which is why I proffer things like, uh, you know, biology, chemistry, physics, um, you know, inter the intersubjectivity of our experience as human beings. These are the things that you can actually bring to the table to have a discussion about morality about. Right. And when you say uh, moral ambiguity, I would probably use the term moral uncertainty, um, it, although I think we mean the same thing, I think that sometimes uh, Christians might um, have a, a different flavor of meaning if you talk about moral ambiguity, as if to say that uh, you, you don't that a thing doesn't have a right or wrong answer, and maybe a thing does have a right or wrong answer, but we don't know what it is, uh, and so uh, I would I would say uncertainty. Um, we don't always know. 
And that is that is a true thing. That's a scary thing. You know, when you grow up and you set aside your gods who know everything and, and then can somehow transmit by a properly basic belief all of the right things, when, when, you, when you recognize that you've got to figure this out for yourself uh, and that you don't know all of the answers and that you're going to make some mistakes, that can be scary. But that is that is the moral enterprise for me. That is the entire moral enterprise. It is not moral to simply do what a moral being tells you to do. That's just obedient. You, mm -hmm. you haven't actually exercised morality uh, in that at all. Morality is when I come to a situation where I, I don't know what the answer is, and I've got to use uh, all of my human uh, abilities to assess the situation and figure out what the best thing to do is in that situation. And, you know, it's scary. I might get it wrong. But but that's the enterprise of doing morality. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, it, it is uncertain. And I just kind of wanted to make the point that Christians pretend that morality was somehow different for them. But no, they're just as uncertain uh, as anyone else when it comes right down to, you know, here's a situation. Uh, tell me what the right thing to do is in this situation. If you can't do it, then you, you're in the same boat as I am. Stop pretending that you have some kind of moral high ground. You do not. There is no moral high ground. Exactly. The, uh, the, the, the saying that comes to mind, which I find myself saying to myself often is, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. You know, if, if we don't have a perfect standard, that doesn't mean you should throw your hands up and not try at all, right? You should be working through the, the messy reality of, the, of being way, moral. I'm really hot. I'm sweating. Uh, can you see the sweat? <laughs> uh, I know I'm in a small... Can you see that? Because normally what I would do is just kind of take take this... It's, is it okay to do on video? Can I just take this? Never mind. Um <laughs> I, th I mean, th there's a whole new world opening up with uh, with skeptics and seekers getting into video. So I think you should try some. some well, that that'll be the the paid membership. Um, <laughs> so. since, since, since I'm not since I'm not on video, I took the opportunity today to not wear pants. So we're uh, <laughs> we're we're in a good spot. SMS after dark. Uh, <laughs> done at eleven o'clock uh, Eastern. Uh, so uh, that's AM people. All right. Um, so let's see what do we have let's let's breeze through this oh yep brian with an i is is this the first time we've had him on this conversation he's been all over season two yes this is this is the first one of him that i that i that i pulled from the, uh from the from the series and uh again not to impugn his body of work because you're right he's been he, he's been all up in the comments so brian kudos for bringing your a-game so let me see here. I will read his comments. So this is, um, again, we're in the morality series still, and this is a comment he made to Dale. And he wrote, hi, Dale. Thanks for sharing your thoughts on this. You say, quote, I simply say that my faculties must be defunct due to sin, and that is why I would take a view contrary to what God has revealed. Brian responds, might another way of looking at it be that the one who claims God revealed X has their faculties defunct due to sin, and so your view and God's view are in harmony? I guess I'm asking that if everyone's views are defunct due to sin, then how does one determine what God really wants revealed? Glad to see your post again, Brian with an I, the lesser middle vowel in the Brian name. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I love teasing Brian about the, about the I and Y. 
But um, this was a this was a great post because this is such I think this is such a critical issue and it's and it's a really big blind spot yes. for how Christians reason. Um, you know, the, the analogy I like to use is with water. You know, if I'm drinking water out of a stream and you tell me that you have perfectly pure water, but you're only drinking it by pouring it through a dirty filter, then we're in exactly the same spot, whether you've got perfect water upstream and I'm just dipping into the into the into the actual dirty stream. Uh, it doesn't matter if there's perfection on the other side of the veil. If the only way you get it is through these human fallible sin laden uh, faculties, then you're you cannot claim perfection. It, it's irrelevant whether it's on the other side of your defunct faculties. You're still getting the mess that the rest of us are. So the so the God's perfection doesn't give you any credence, doesn't give you any leg up doesn't give you any view uh, that the the atheist or skeptic has. So this is a this is a um, meta conversation that Dale and I have. Uh, it seems like every other time that we have a podcast, uh, either before or after the show, off mic, uh, we have some piece of this conversation. Uh, I've been having it with him uh, probably since the first show of season one, and as you say, it is a it is a terrible blind spot for the Christian that I eventually saw as a Christian and never. Uh, was able to uh, do any, you know, mental jujitsu uh, to get myself around, uh, and it's it's simply put, if all of our mental faculties are messed up by sin, how do any of us know uh, that we've got the right idea about God or God's will? How, how is the Christian any more certain of their position than the atheist? How could you ever go with something like a properly basic belief if you are so messed up by sin, a human cannot have a properly basic belief? And since so many Christians have different uh, beliefs that they feel so strongly about, how can any of them know? I mean, if you just take the issue of homosexuality, uh, about a little more than half of them say homosexuality is fine, and the other part say, no, homosexuality is not fine. Well, they're all messed up by sin. How am I supposed to know which sin messed up group is right? Exactly. And by the way, exactly. how can they yeah. know? <laughs> you know, um, I don't I don't think that's possible, but I, I also think just fundamentally, just philosophically, you can't say on the one hand uh, that uh, I, David Johnson, uh, simply cannot understand the things of the Spirit because I'm not spiritual. Well, you weren't spiritual either. Uh, so how did you come to understand the things of the Spirit? That, how, do you, how do you ever come to understand that? You just kind of have to say, well, God gives you a way to to clear up some of that so that you can understand some part of it. And and then we get to the question of, well, okay, well, why did you get enough to understand and why did I not get enough to understand? Uh, is God playing favorites? And then the response is, well, no, maybe, you know, we're like rusty screws and uh, I, Dale, just wasn't as rusty as you, David. You're you're rusty. And so God applied the same amount of spiritual rust-oleum, but <laughs> you you had a worse problem than me. Well, how did I get a worse problem than you? I didn't I didn't make myself. <laughs> so once again, how is how is any of that fair? How how does any of that make philosophical sense? You you can't 
you can't get around it. And so, um, look, I would love to have some more conversation around that um, in the comments. It's a meta conversation, like I said, that has been going on for a while. And I'm happy that it came to the board uh, then and not surprised at all uh, that it was Brian with an eye that uh, that brought us there. Yeah, that, that was that was a good one. And, and before we move to the next one, the, the only other thing I would say is the, the idea of a properly basic belief needs further scrutiny as well. Because just because you have a belief, whether properly basic or not, nothing about that means that that belief is true. You could be wrong. You, your, your proper basicality is not some guarantor of truth. So you throwing out a silver bullet of a properly basic belief hasn't done anything to advance my uh, feelings on how good your answer is, right? So great, you believe it properly basically, fantastic. That does nothing for me. I don't know whether that belief is warranted, justified, or true. So therefore, you've still got the work ahead of you, even though you've proffered that the reason is a properly basic belief. Uh, it's both not transferable to somebody else, but it's also not a guarantor that it's true. So you still need to do work to show that what you believe is true. Right. The problem with a properly basic belief is that no one else has any reason to believe it, and you don't have enough reason to believe it either. <laughs> so, right. Uh, properly basic is a, is a wonderful mask to put on the, you know, the face of indecision. Right. All right. Who, who's up next? I didn't. Uh, oh, yeah. No, I did. This is. Uh, no. Who, who is this? I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I, I, have I have Tyler B. next. OK, Tyler. Sorry, I didn't. Yes. Uh, so on screen, people are reading the comment uh, and I usually have who it is. And I didn't right. include that with this. One. So sorry about that, Tyler. So I so uh, Tyler B. had some really good. Uh, you know, he had a lot of good comments. So I just was able to I pulled one. Uh, but I wanted to shout out that I thought he did a nice job in his thread. And can I just and say I, that Tyler is <clears throat> the best off-topic uh, poster uh, of both skeptics and seekers and unbelievable? Uh, because when he simply has nothing to say about the topic or is bored with the topic, he will just throw out some other, uh, you know, some <laughs> IED, some some uh, explosive uh uh, out from left field but it's always interesting and it's always well okay that's a better thing to talk about anyway thanks tyler <laughs> absolutely absolutely i i would concur he is a a non a non a non sequitur hand grenade is what it is <laughs> i wish i had thought about that uh, so the next time so, uh, you hear that guys uh it will be as if it came from me non sequitur hand grenade uh, uh, by David it, it is I didn't get a chance to put my trademark application in, so I just shot myself in the foot. But but anyway, I think if Tyler ever writes a book, the title of the book needs to be the first line of this comment. And the comment is, do gay parrots exist? <laughs> <laughs> and he goes on to, uh, to talk about it. Uh, Marvin mentioned that there is no homosexuality in the animal kingdom, ex-humans. The TED Talk below that he links to suggests otherwise. According to Wiki, Homosexuality or bisexuality has been identified in over 1,500 species. Moreover, we have yet to identify a species that doesn't display homosexuality or bisexuality. Of course, the Christian wants to say that homosexuality is unnatural. If homosexuality is such an abomination, why did God make it so rife in the animal kingdom? That doesn't sound like intelligent design to me, ellipses, ellipses. So, yeah, I, I thought this was, a, this was a, nice, a nice counterpoint to the issues because clearly homosexuality is natural. I mean— just the fact that it exists in the natural world means that it's natural, you know, but so, so is arsenic natural, right? So, you know, natural isn't doing any heavy lifting here, but it's, it's, you know, it's always thrown out as some kind of a gotcha 
by the Christian uh, as to why homosexuality should be frowned upon. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's unnatural because it's sin or something like that. And I, I would say, well, wait a minute, though, <laughs> because um, this is this is this is perfectly normal behavior in species that are not human. And um, it it happens in the animal kingdom about the same percentage as it happens uh among humans and so there certainly seems to be something going on besides humans making a choice to do sin and uh the where this one where this came up i don't i don't think this was one of tyler's uh non-secular hand grenades um no no this one this one was right this was a this was on topic this was precise um but he um what marvin uh was saying i i had i had posted a a uh, few times, but yeah, but animals are homosexual. It's 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 a perfect <laughs> natural thing, about the same. And Marvin was saying, "Well, you can't prove that." And I was saying, "But you you know better. I don't need to p- put links here. You've right. seen them all." And Marvin's punchline was kind of, "Yeah, but you don't know what's in those animals' minds." And th- that's where that's where it went off the rail for me. And so um, yep. that this this was some of the stuff around this comment that people uh, may not remember. But it the um, it's kind of where I had the record scratching. What? Because <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. homosexuality up until that point, Christians described homosexuality as what you do, you know, and and act. Um, and. Here, Marvin uh, was saying, oh, no, it, it has to be some kind of state of mind. You have to be thinking homosexually <laughs> or or something to that effect. And so he's saying, well, you can't prove that animals uh, are are thinking in in that way. I mean, and I'm, I was like, what? What? <laughs> what does it have to do with anything? So uh, yeah, that was that was part of the conversation. If um, if people don't remember that. And so. Uh, thank you, Tyler, for uh, posting this. But Marvin's Marvin's workaround to that was, yeah, well, you still can't prove that there's any homosexuality in the animal kingdom, right? Because you and, don't uh, know and, what's and, in their mind, right? You know, which because I always contemplate, you know, what a wild boar is thinking. That's an important use of my mental faculties. Yeah, but uh, and, what, and what, it tells me it tells me also that you know, humans, if you want to just do homosexual acts while thinking heterosexually i think you'd be okay (laughs) (laughs) the perfect workaround you just you just threw it out there you just saved them all uh one one more thing i had to say on this before we move on is you know i want to throw out a challenge to christians you know one one thing they say about you know why homosexuality is wrong is because you're using the equipment in the in the way that it wasn't intended for Mm-hmm. And and if that's true, I would challenge the Christian to make a non-question begging argument for why kissing isn't wrong. Okay, so you're being nice, and um, you're supposing that we have some kind of clean tag uh, on the show. We do not. <laughs> uh, and this season, I have promised that we will do a show on sexuality, and there will be a no holes barred. Uh, show there so i would i would up your kissing uh question and uh uh say why why would anal sex uh among heterosexuals uh not be 
considered the same thing. Now, some Christians would say, oh, it is. Uh, right. You know, and that's and that's why I specifically use kissing, right? Is because the, the only way to answer this question is to say, well, that's not what God intended. But you don't have any way of getting at that information. You're just you're just dictating it as so, right? But clearly the, the mouth is used for dictating? eating. It, when we were anyway, go ahead. Never mind. <laughs> uh, that 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 is me gently segueing into the raunchier version of this show that we're gonna do downstream. <laughs> so I was trying to get there, you know, as, as subtly as I could. But uh, you know, clearly the mouth the mouth is for eating, the mouth is for breathing, the mouth is for talking. You know, how do you get so that you're supposed to use this mouth for kissing? Where does that come from? Or other things that people use their mouths for. Exactly. So it's 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 completely question begging. You've decided that God thinks that homosexuality is wrong. So therefore, when you do things with your body that people would call homosexual, that you're using the equipment for the, uh, th you know, for the way it was not intended. And that's just, you know, again, that's, I don't find that argument persuasive at all. No, no. Um, so we're almost there, people. Um, take us out. Let's oh, yeah. see. We've got Anthony 66. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, he's Anthony one, has one... also been all over uh, season two with uh, comments, and he's been all over the morality board uh, in particular. Now, I just i I've been uh, trying to get Anthony sixty six on the show. For those who do not know, Anthony sixty six is not a theist, but he's not exactly an atheist. He's kind of a, a kind of a Terra style. Uh, non-theist, non-atheist in the middle with some kind of wackadoo ideas, but I love him so much. <laughs> so, yeah. Anthony, please come on the show <laughs> so that so that we can have at you. <laughs> so, and he's not uh, the only he's, one who wants this. <laughs> I I would I would second that notion absolutely. We got to get Anthony on the show, and and I also would encourage him to change his handle. He's one. He's one number off of yes. the number of the beast. So, so close. That would be a good little, good little needle to our to our Christian listeners, which would be fun. So close. Yeah. So anyway. So yeah. I I'll, uh, I'll read the comment and then I'll tell you why I picked it. Um, and it's a nice long one. So buckle in. Um, I argue essentially the Sam Harris view of ethics based on maximizing the well-being of sentient creatures. Even Teddy seemed to veer in my consequentialist direction when discussing the efficacy of torture departing from the more traditional Christian deontological virtue stance. Marvin has challenged me on the impracticality of the calculus. That's probably reasonable, but I think in practical terms, our societies at large intrinsically do the sums, evolving in their understanding, lurching forwards and backwards, but hopefully making progress over time. That is good writing, by the it way. Is. Kudos. And I, I just want to say, I, I want to have Anthony on the show. I want to have Adam, but I don't think I could win. I have no evidence about that. Anthony is, Anthony is smarter than me in so many uh, categories. Uh, so I, I will, I will have a big bucket of popcorn for when that happens, and I will be munching uncontrollably, listening. It will be great. But um, he continues, and in a slightly charitable moment, I'd acknowledge that Christianity has been a vehicle for some major calculus and positive moral development. Whether this is a result of historical accident, the insights of its founders, or the meditations of the saints, is not important for my point here. But what struck me again listening to Teddy was how a rigid adherence to former ways of thinking not only make the smart sound extremely dumb, trying to defend what they can't, uh, which, which, which can't be defended, but how such thinking sidelines one from the table of contemporary consideration. One of the reasons I listen to David Bentley Hart is due to his posture in relation to the Christian tradition. He is not afraid to call out the stupid and the religion. 
He calls out the utter failure of reconciling a loving God with an eternal hell. He calls out a rigid attachment to the Bible without due consideration to its provenance and according to an appropriate place within philosophical development. Christianity is likely going down the gurgler. There are too many problems, but if it is to maintain a voice, it needs to ponder that perhaps the current time may represent 2,000 years of a billion-year development of doctrinal and moral development. It can't maintain views like homosexuals deserving an eternity in hell based on the musings of the ancients. Men who were as clueless about most things as we likely are in comparison to those who will hopefully live thousands, if not millions of years into the future. So, yeah, I I thought this was just a nice, uh, you know, time capsule summary of the entire discussion as to, you know, what some of the issues are with reasoning about morality uh, in a Christian way, about privileging ancient people who knew much less than we do privileging ancient documents that have not been properly vetted or proven. Um, and, and again, where to put the focus? Is it on obedience and following uh, mob bosses? Or is it on, you know, um, picking the better axioms like maximizing well-being of sentient creatures? Uh, so I just thought this was a nice, you know, summary of kind of where the conversation was and in, in, in what I thought was a good way to look at morality. Well, this, this has my uh, vote for comment uh, of the day. Uh, for the phrase uh, going down the gurgler. Yes. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, if, if for that, no that, other reason. That has to be, lo- yeah, that's got to be local, local parlance. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure if that's the, to- the toilet or the sewer or, you know, you know I, Anthony's pit of despair that he has in his backyard. Sarah, you're going to have to step up your game. Um, <laughs> so, um, the, uh, uh, the observation uh, there near the end is also one that uh, resonates with me. I uh, bring up uh, from time to time. In fact, I think uh, all of the skeptics have brought up at some point uh, in different ways, which is why should we take this ancient book of writings um, from from Bronze Age people, uh, good people, though some were, but obviously some of them were really bad people. <laughs> Those m- many of the people cast in the role of good person, not not such a good person. Why should we take their views of right and wrong uh, seriously today? And the only answer that the Christian can give is, well, these weren't their views. These were the views of the morally perfect being being spoken through them. Now, this is a thing that Christians don't like to say out loud because that takes them out of the realm of academia, which which they want to be, uh, they want to be in that club. Uh, and so when they say things like that, then you know they're they're not really in that club <laughs> so much anymore. But it is an observation that I think people need to keep asking, and we need to keep beating that drum. Yes, I understand that uh, Jeremiah said this. I understand Moses said this. I understand David said this. But why should we care? Absolutely, hundred percent. And the fact that he brings up, you know, Sam Harris, who I largely, you know, track with when it comes to morality, you know, just to answer all the charges of, you know, not providing the grounding, not providing the uh, reasoning, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, at the end of the day, you have to pick some axiom to build upon, right? There's no way of avoiding that. What I'm trying to do is make the axiom as, you know, um, indefatigable as possible. You just can't get around it. Make it as basic as possible so that it's not assuming too much. 
it's not doing any heavy lifting that isn't supported by evidence. You know, I want to start as base as possible and then reason my way up, which is why I don't want to stuff things like deities with perfect natures that have sensus divitatis ways of telling us things. Those are all things that I don't think are real. So why would I put them in an axiom? That would just, you know, that would just defeat the whole purpose. You know, I'm happy to kick those things around. And if they're real, again, they get folded into the conversation. So I think putting a base of we're trying to maximize the well-being of sentient creatures is a good base. It's philosophical bedrock, as uh, Sam Harris would call it. And if you have a problem with it, I'm happy to hear the problem. But don't tell me the problem isn't because it's not supernatural or it isn't perfect or it isn't, you know, the ultimate arbiter of truth in the universe because you're just assuming your conclusion by doing that. Right. And Christians have their own axioms. I mean, there is the axiom. uh, Stop me if you've heard this. Uh, because uh, more souls uh, will be saved. And so, you know, the axiom becomes, well, what is it that would get more souls saved? Uh, And so that becomes their axiom for their foundation for good. Um, There are all kinds of things like that. So, I, yeah, I do appreciate um, uh, Anthony 66. He has a way with words. He is sometimes what I would describe uh, as winsome even. And so... Uh, I do uh, very much enjoy reading his posts, and uh, please come on the show. We'll be nice. Yes, for the first second to Anthony, come on the show, <laughs> and don't talk at all about what Tara wants you to talk about, which will just get her riled up even more, which is really funny. <laughs> all right, take us, uh, take us to Daniel, the Bible nerd. Yes, great. He gets the Great Handle Award, so kudos to Daniel, who is a new voice in Skeptics and Seekers. He was. Um, he was uh, is the only show he did the, in the morality show with the Christian Roundtable. I think so. No, he did a he debated Darren as well directly. Oh, oh uh, yeah, this, yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. So he was on two shows, but they were both in the morality. He didn't do one. He was going to do one earlier with you, but I don't think it happened. Yeah. Uh, so uh, look, I don't, I don't, I don't mean to be a jerk, uh, but we, we're probably an hour three now, so I might be a little bit of a jerk. Daniel, the Bible nerd, little little bit of a cocky name. Because uh, in the various shows he did, he didn't seem to show quite as much Bible um, awareness as some of the other Christian guests on the show. So, I mean, if you're going to call yourself, you know, the Bible something in the name, I mean, um, one one example uh, from from a time when I was a Christian, some people will recognize this name, Hank Hinegraaff, uh, <laughs> before he went crazy. Um, he uh, called himself the Bible Answer Man. Um, ah, yes. Hank Hinegraaff actually that 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 actually applied to Hank Hinegraaff. He was uh, he was a bit of a Bible dictionary. Um, Daniel, the Bible nerd, you got a Bible up, uh, brother, <laughs> because, because we've got some atheists that can go toe to toe with you. So you either got to change the name or bring the Bible uh, more Bible the next time. Uh, now, now, see, David, his critique would be that you're just proof texting there, and that's just not the right way to go. So you're, you're just, you're, you're, you're off you're base. Foreshadowing right his post here. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Take it away. Let me, let me read it. Um, enjoyed the conversation with you, Darren. I didn't know this whole comment community existed. Case in point. He was fine. This is quoting now, sorry. He was fine ignoring large portions of the Bible or interpreting it to mean something that isn't obvious if you just read the words as they're written. That was Darren's critique to Daniel. And he responds, I think this is the crux of our debate right here. If you think reading the Bible is basically proof texting, it will make little sense to you. I do wish you consider that maybe, perhaps, reading it a flat click way 
quick way is not the right way of looking at it. It was very difficult in the debate to get beyond this because you would insist that your way of reading the Bible is the obvious or correct way. Excuse me, correct way. And then proof text to try to support your claim. Proof text wars are probably the worst way to talk about the Bible. There's really no attempt on your part to understand the culture, literal literature, background, situational context, narrative context, anything about the Bible. Zero attempt. You really think that that's the best way to read the Bible? Just read the flat words and don't consider anything else. Yeah, so I, I, picked, I picked this comment because I thought it was a nice, um, a nice example of how I uh, uh, was affected when I was hearing this conversation that he had with Darren, mm -hmm. which was I, I, I would basically liken Daniel to, uh, Daniel to like a Jordan Peterson type mm -hmm. where, you, you know, there, there's, there's 87 ways to the truth. They're all true, whether they're completely opposite from each other. You know, he spent a lot of time telling Darren what he was doing wrong, what was clearly wrong. This is not right. This is the wrong answer, the wrong way. But he never said, here's the right way. And let me explain why it's the right way. So I, I just felt it was, you know, always, you know, trying to put Darren on his back foot rather than stepping out on his own front. So uh, this this actually dovetails also nicely uh, from the very first comment that I went off on talking about hermeneutics. Um uh, I think it was a mag attack. Um, you, th this is just another example of you know you're talking to a Christian and you uh, have done the 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 thing of looking at their source material and seeing what it says. Uh, you've you've taken that time, you've done that research, and you say, okay, well here's here's where it says blank, and then you're you're pushed aside. Uh, because you're you're obviously an idiot. What do you think you're doing? You're reading the literal words and then saying what those words mean. You idiot. How how dare you read the Bible that way? That's so that's so flat. Um what what are you what are you talking about? Uh women women shouldn't remain silent in the churches. Women I I forbid uh women to uh, teacher, you serve authority over men. This is what it says. Uh, how dare you read it so flatly? Uh, what are you, what are you proof texting here? Uh, no, I'm just reading words. This is this is in any other piece of literature. <laughs> I can read these words and I would know what they mean. If we take these words out of this book and put it in this book and read it, you would you would read it the same way I do. But but here in the Bible now there's there must be some hidden hermeneutical principle that I don't understand that makes these words somehow a mystery. And if I just read these words the way they normally seem like they should be read, now I'm proof texting. Now I'm reading it flatly. We can't possibly understand what this book is saying because we are so stupid. We are just reading the words at face value, expecting them to mean what they seem like they mean. How dare we? Exactly. And, you know, and there's never a defense made for why you shouldn't read it that plainly or that you should ever read it that plainly. Is there nothing in the Bible that you're supposed to read plainly? If that's true, then I'm throwing John 3.16 out the window. I, yeah, I it's mean, all, I, you know, it's, it's I metaphor. I to read it. I, I, I'm sorry I read it. I tell, I tell people this all the time. Stop <laughs> reading the Bible. Just stop it. Stop it. Because if you 
think that you are scoring points with Christians for reading that book and then coming up with uh, what you believe the book says, you are a fool, more fool you. You're more of a fool after reading it uh, than you were before you read it because you clearly are reading it wrong. These are spiritual things. You're reading it in an unspiritual way. Shame on you. I'm, anyway, maybe Daniel, maybe Daniel would come back um, and talk about hermeneutics. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I would love to get an actual prospective, this is how you should do it and why you should do it. And part of that analysis needs to be, and then we went to the source and we got the confirmation that that was indeed correct. But I don't think they have that. So again, they're still doing a principle that they have not been able to ratify empirically. So right. it's still just the best guess. Right. And, you know, some of this, uh, have, you, have you observed that uh, one of the favorite ways for certain types of Christians to get out of a jam is to say, ah, but you don't understand the original Hebrew. The Hebrew in this particular context, as if they understood Hebrew, uh, for one, <laughs> they do not. <laughs> they, they do not know any more Hebrew than you do. But why is it then that the way to understand that particular uh, passage is to understand the the Hebrew and all of the culture and so forth. Does that mean that we've got to understand the Hebrew and the Greek and the Chaldean for all of the Bible? Because if it doesn't, then I don't know what your point is. Exactly. And it you know it, it's clearly also not the most efficient way to communicate information, right? Like David, if you were if you were trying to drive to my house and the way you were going to come was going to take you over a bridge that was washed out and you were going to crash to your peril. I wouldn't give you that information by sending you a long form written letter written in, you know, uh, linear B, right? I'd, I'd grab the phone and I'd call you and tell you as plainly as I could, don't go over that bridge because it's not there. So it, it just brings into whole relief. What, what's the point of, yeah. of this communication if it's that, if it's that distant? Why and is God speaking in Yoda? I, I mean, even, <laughs> even the people of the time didn't understand what he was talking about. Anyway, look, this is our penultimate post. Yeah. Um, uh, penultimate post from uh, Tyler B. Uh, I'm glad he uh, showed up again. Is this a non sequitur grenade? Let's see. Uh, it's, uh, this might be quite, quite a little non sequitur, but we'll see. It's uh, he wrote it to Teddy, uh, and he wrote regarding executing children as a punishment. I meant children, all caps, being executed, all caps. Leviticus 29 says, anyone who curses the father or mother is to be put to death because they have cursed their father or mother. Their blood will be on their own head. He says, it seems fundamentally flawed to define someone as good or bad. We should consider all the evidence and reach a conclusion. Seems your gang wants to start with the conclusion and then find evidence to match. In your line of business, which is uh, lawyering, don't they call that fitting someone up? Question mark. Once you define someone as good, then any bad behavior can be excused for example the male cult leader declares he needs to have sex with everyone's wife exclamation point it's that second to last line that is why i included this uh comment the once you define someone as good then any bad behavior can be excused it's the you know the definitional game of bringing god's moral nature to the table as a def def definition as an axiom and therefore when you see something that looks not moral you've got to find a way to, to uh, you know, squeeze it into into a morality framework that will uh, excuse it. Right. Uh, same thing uh, that I railed about uh, earlier, and so I won't rail about it again. 
but yes, when you've got a when you when you start with a morally perfect being, that completely short circuits all moral conversation. the The rest of it is just mental masturbation. Uh, I don't even know why we're talking about morality. If you start with the idea that you've got a morally perfect being and all you've got to do is uh, do what he says. Yeah. You know, we're not, we're not, we're not doing morals anymore at that point. Uh, last post. Uh, we've last post. David Russell. Uh, what a great last post, too, as he will uh, be coming on. If not, I'm not clear if he's going to be joining me next week uh, with Randall or not. Uh, I hope so. Um, he has the option not to. Um, but, um, yeah, David David Russell, uh, uh, tearing into me. What do, what do you have to say? <laughs> so here's, here's what David had to say. He said to you, David on David, in most contexts, the concept of good denotes the conduct that should be preferred when posed with a choice between possible actions. Good is generally considered to be the opposite of evil and is of interest in the study of morality, ethics, religion, and philosophy. The specific meaning and etymology of the term and its associated translations among ancient and contemporary languages show substantial variation in its inflection and meaning depending on circumstances of place, history, religious, or physical context, philosophical context. In others, you can look at the history of the word and good and see the, that people have been trying to define it for years. We have not redefined anything, but we are defining it according to our worldview. The question is, what is good in your worldview? Okay, so I just Maya, want, I, I yeah. want the first bite of this apple right here. Uh, <laughs> I've been spoiling for this for a bit. Uh, this won't take long. Uh, I just want to put in the context here. Uh, I uh, had been accusing Christians at, at this point for a while uh, of having a different definition of good uh, than everyone else. And if you are having a conversation with Christians about morality and you're talking about the good, you're not talking about the same thing. This is, uh, this is what I was saying. This is what David was uh, responding to. And I would say, actually, uh, it's one of the better responses um, uh, that I got from this. So thank you, uh, David Russell, uh, for that response. His, his last uh, line, that last sentence kind of gives it away uh for me though uh so uh i i think it kind of validates uh what i was trying to say um so you know there there are these cultural notions of good but ultimately we define good according to our worldview that's what he said and since we have different worldviews <laughs> We are defining good differently. <laughs> oh, it's it is a thing that you have to look out for. And so partly if your worldview is that everything that God does is good uh because God is morally perfect, then you can then you can look at some of the things that God does and you the Christian will have to define some of those things as good that we wouldn't define as good. Uh since God wants us to suffer, uh, in some ways for, for some kind of personal growth or what have you, the Christian has to define suffering in some way as good, whereas the uh, non-Christian does not. Uh, since saving the most possible souls is the ultimate goal for the Christian God, according to some, then whatever it takes to save those souls is uh, good, 
and that may be different from your idea of good. So you, you we are, in fact, defining it uh, based on our worldview. And I would just uh, point to this comment from David uh, as if you were confused about what I meant by uh, Christians and atheists have different ideas of the good, um, I think uh, David gave a better explication of that than I did. Good. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. Um, the, uh, there's a couple of things that come out of this for me. One is if, if he's, if he's granting that we can have different definitions of good, and I wouldn't argue with that, but then it makes it difficult to have a conversation about it moving forward, right? Wouldn't you have to pick one and talk about it from that framework and then also have a conversation where you have about it, talk about it from the other definition. How can you have, you know, a conversation when people are using two definitions that becomes equivocation and it, and it makes the whole thing a mess. And I think that that's been a, you know, a big underlined point of yours in this entire series, which is that Christians and atheists are not talking about the same thing when we talk about the good. And, and I, I struggle with, it seems that Christians think the good is some sort of metaphysical substance that's out there and that we need to tap into and find examples of where I would define good is it's a descriptor of actions as they point to certain outcomes, right? I mean, it's, it's a value statement about, you know, if I'm trying to, to be a good neighbor, when I go shopping for my elderly neighbor that can't go to the store for herself, I'm doing good. Not because that's written in some, you know, metaphysical definition book of what good is, but because again, I'm trying to be a good neighbor and I'm doing something that points in the direction of being a good neighbor. So, uh, you know, unless you can actually show me this metaphysical substance of good, I don't get why we want to have a conversation using that definition of good. So that uh, that brings us to the end. Um, so Waldorf and Statler, this is this is not you and I, I don't think. I think that this is a representation of all of us in the comments. Um, the Muppet Show, uh, one of uh, one of my favorite uh, shows of all time. So um, I always like. I love these guys. I liked these two guys in particular because you know while the show is going on, they just um, you know they they're just having their own conversation and um, you know calling it as they see it. Uh, and you know they could have we could have had a a whole other. Uh, meta Muppet show of just uh, Waldorf and Stadler talking <laughs> during the show. <laughs> and that's kind of how I see the comment section. Uh, so I see the show that we do on air as what's going on on stage, but I find the show that's more interesting to be the meta show, uh, the thing that's going on in the comments. And the comment section doesn't happen without the commenters. And uh, so as we go over some of the comments uh, today in these shows, and, you know, we'll do these shows periodically uh, every, every couple thousand comments or so um, <laughs> we um, will do these shows because uh, you know, don't think of these um, you know, pulling these comments out as some, a, a way to come back and bash commenters behind their back. This is a, a celebration of the cross-section of uh, diverse opinion uh, and uh, commentary that is going on 
uh, around the show. And so while I enjoy, enjoy and appreciate the fact that people tune in and listen uh, and this season uh, watch Skeptics and Seekers, I always consider the comment section my reward for doing the show. I can I can sit back and uh, see what the community has to say. That has always been my favorite part of it. I think it always will be my favorite part of it, and that's why the comment section shows are my favorite shows to do. Thank you, Brian, for uh, joining me. Uh, the next time you hear Skeptics and Seekers on air, it will be season three. It will be Randall Rouser. Randall Rouser will be talking about his inner atheist. Did you know that Randall Rouser had an inner atheist? Did you know? Read the book. Go to Amazon. Uh, Randall Rouser will, uh, I think the, the book title is uh, Conversations with My Inner Atheist. Uh, it's very easy to read. One of the things I love about Randall Rouser is he is an academic. He is a scholar. But there is nothing in his books that makes your brain hurt. You can follow everything that he has to say. You can follow his thoughts very clearly. Um, you can have a dialogue uh, with Randall Rouser, and you can skip all of the part where, oh, we were confused about what you were saying because you were using $10 words and we're, we only have $5 brains. Um, so thank you, Randall, for that. And that will be uh, next week. Anything uh, you want to say as we end this show, Brian? Sure. Just briefly, I am uh, honored again to be on the show and happy to, to, to play the role of capping off season two, which I agree was a fantastic one far-ranging and uh, really, really rich. And I am looking forward to season three, and I will see you and all the listeners and commenters out there on the boards moving forward. And with that, have a great week. See you in season three. Bye-bye.